You know, our world is in a mess. It's in a state of confusion, and it's, and it's heading down a, a, a road of destruction at a crazy speed. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Amen? But you know, it is time for you and I to understand who we are in Christ Jesus. It is time that we understand that so that we can live it and the world can see it. There's never been a time in history that, is, that it is so important that the believers of God, the children of God, stand up and make their voices heard. Not in fear and trembling, not under oppression of the enemy, but under the victory and the anointing and the calling of God that is on each and every one of our lives. God wants us to know that we're his children. And as his children, we behave and take on the character of our father. Amen? To do this kind of thing, we have to defy the worldly norms. If there is such a thing as a worldly norm anymore. <laughs> but we have to grab hold of our covenant with God. Our covenant with God is written in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's written with something that cannot be erased, amen, that any attack of the enemy cannot take away from us. It's the, it's the blood of Christ who loved us enough to die for us, amen. So we need to grab hold of that covenant. We need to take hold of our human nature and get rid of the old and bring in the new because we've been born again. Our covenant with God is what gives us our unique ability and identity, I should really say. Our covenant with God makes us different from the world. You and I should be different from the world. We should be different from people who are not saved. We should have a different attitude, a different outlook in life. We should walk with a different kind of confidence and authority in our lives. We should be able to, to, to stare at death and not be afraid. Because we know that when we believe in him, we shall never die. Amen? We have eternal life in Christ our Lord. So this morning, we need to understand something. We know that God is the great I am, right? But our identity echoes his I am nature. About why? Because we're his children. So this morning we're going to, going to examine seven I am statements, I am statements that identify us as God's children. Now these are fundamental beliefs that's going to help us find meaning and purpose throughout our entire lives. It doesn't matter if you were just born again a few weeks ago or, Lynn, if they're like you and me in an oldest dirt. It's still going to surprise, surprise us and live, help us live a victorious life. Amen? It's okay. You can laugh a little bit. <laughs> Let's begin with the first statement. That first statement is, I am holy. I am holy. Turn, if you will, to the scripture. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. 
The foundation of all human holiness is this. We are made in the image of God. Let that sink in for a minute. We are made in the image of God. If God is holy, then it follows that humans are created for holiness. We're created to be holy. Holy is a divine calling. It's not a human accomplishment. Of course, we can and we should participate in fulfilling that calling that God gives us and living out holy lives. But holiness is first and foremost about God, about the God who sets us apart from the world, not about us trying to be really, really good and doing good things because we are never really, really all that good. We are going to fail. But our holiness that we have in our Holy Father makes us holy. We take on His nature. Hallelujah. Because to be holy is to be His. To be holy is to be God's. Let's be clear right here. Our holiness does not spring from our actions, but from our identity. Our holiness does not spring from our actions, but from our identity. There's a reason why God calls his children saints or holy ones. You might be thinking, wait a second, I'm no saint. I'm sometimes kind of hard to call myself a Christian, you know. Well, let me tell you something. My little brother and I, Mike, we were only 18 months apart in in age. And uh, as a result, naturally, of course, we did everything together. Now, as we were growing up and younger, I doubt very seriously my mom ever thought of me as holy or as being a saint. (laughs) But I know more than once that she thought Mike and I might be holy terrors. (laughs) But you know what? There's a holiness that the world can't take away from us. Despite what you've heard, saints are not just miracle workers who now live in stained glass windows in churches. But saints are everyday people who have been born again. Consider this. The word Christian is only mentioned in the New Testament three times. But the Greek word hagios, which means saint or holy ones, is used over 60 times. And when Paul, uses, who used this word the most, when he would write a letter to the saints of God, he was, for the most part, writing to Gentiles and to outsiders, people who were considered by the religious elite as, as unworthy. But we've been made worthy by God. And these letters were sent to those people who were brand new in the faith, to this, brand new to the whole idea of, of uh, uh, following Jesus. People who were in many ways like us, uh, you know, still making a mess of things. Can we identify? Our life's not perfect. We still make messes, but our God still loves us, and we're still holy. Paul, inspired by God's Spirit, called them saints. And these words, you know, go through all time and reach us too. Invite, uh, you know, you and I to understand that we too are saints of the living God. I am holy. It's a statement of identity and of value. It's an affirmation that you 
are a child of the living God, of the Holy One. So now we're going to make a declaration. After each time I I give you a a little thought or a, a teaching, we're going to make a declaration. If you can bring that up, Lauren. Will you declare with me, I am holy, so I stand out from the crowd. Let's do it again. I am holy, so I stand out from the crowd. You see, when we understand that we are holy, then the next I am statement is a natural follow-up. And that is, I am righteous. Have you ever seen a company offer a free gift as part of some kind of marketing campaign? Buy a makeup kit and get a special brush for free. Sign up for an email list and we'll give you an ebook. Hmm. The phrase free gift here uh, has a couple of problems with it, though. First, it's redundant. Gifts are always free. If it's not free, it's not a gift, right? Second, it's usually not true. Whatever they're offering is some sort of marketing ploy, like I said. And even if they ask you just for an email, they want something in return from you, right? And the third thing is that free gifts in the advertising campaign is usually accompanied with a little fine print that says, uh, oh, by, by the way, some terms and conditions apply. But you see, gifts that have strings attached aren't gifts at all, are they? But these kind of gifts in this world is so common that, that we begin to think that, well, nothing's really free, is it? But contrary to where the world offers free gift, the Bible offers us a free gift, and it's the gift of righteousness and eternal life that we have through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. A no strings attached. God's gift of righteousness is truly a gift. No strings, no conditions attached. He's not trying to sell you something. There's no one who is excluded. And there's no time limit on God's offer of salvation. Isn't that wonderful? Out of the goodness of God's heart, he offers forgiveness and righteousness and salvation to everyone, to all who would simply believe. Sadly, we sometimes uh, forget that gifts are free and righteousness cannot be earned. The gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness is free. It can't be earned. You know, when we first come to God and, and, and we put, place our faith in Jesus Christ, you know, we are uh, uh, you know, naturally just really excited about the gift and of salvation and we operate in gratitude and in faith. But somehow, you know, as time goes on, we, we start to reduce God's gift to a free trial offer. Try righteousness for 90 days and then live under the thumb of fear the rest of your life. God's righteousness is not a trial offer. It's an eternal state of our being. Hallelujah. Romans, amen. Go give him praise. Amen. You see, something... 
like staying under the thumb of oppression or, or under fear or under doubt or uh, being discouraged all the time. That's not freedom at all, is it? And it's not a gift. If we think righteousness is something we, we have to deserve and preserve or earn and protect, or you know, we, we've really forgotten what free really means. Romans 5.17 says it real clear. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Mm. And Romans 6.23, by which you know we all should be able to quote this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift to us. But that doesn't mean it was free for God. You see, it costs Jesus his life. Now, saints, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't trivialize this wonderful act of love and sacrifice. When we say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, don't let it just float over your mind and your thought process. But let it sink into your heart. The Son of God died for you. He died because he knew that there was no way that you were going to ever qualify to be holy and righteous unless he cleansed you by his sacrifice. Our God's a holy God. When we sin against him, there has to be a payment for that sin. And the payment was so great that you and I could not absolutely achieve it on our own. So God, because he loved us, sent his only begotten son to die for us, pay the price for our sins, make us righteous when we were totally unrighteous. Hallelujah. Jesus died to, 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 Jesus died to save us. And it's his desire and his expectation that we receive that gift, not with fear of having to repay something we can't, but with gratitude and with faith and with worship. Isn't Jesus worthy of that? Amen. So we're going to make another declaration. And the next declaration is, I am righteous, so I fight for justice. Will you say that with me? I am righteous. So I fight for justice. Amen. If I know that I am holy because I take after my Father, God, who is holy, and I understand that I am righteous because of what my Lord Jesus Christ and my elder brother Jesus did for me on the cross, then the next I am statement really is a no-brainer because it, we understand that I am loved. Amen. 1 John 4 and 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. God is the author of love and the epitome of love. So it, you know, it just makes sense to base our understanding of love on Him, right? Not on romance novels or what Hollywood tells us is love. But the Bible, the Bible comes in and gives us his word. 
When God inspired the Bible, he didn't do it in the form of a textbook. And that's a good thing because most of us, when we open up a textbook, what do we do? We go to sleep. But God gave us the Bible in the form of, of a journal and, and truths about life and people's stories where we're learning how to find God and to find that abundant life that we can have in Him. God's Word is true, and, faith, and his, his Word is faithful to lead us in the right direction. Now, one of the people that, that, that wrote the Scripture and uh, was a disciple of Jesus named John. We're all familiar with him, right? And he summed up the complexity and the grandeur of God's character and nature in one succinct and powerful phrase. 1 John 4 and 8 says, God is love. Hmm. Notice, he didn't say, God is loving, although that's true. And he didn't say, God loves you and me, because that's also true. But he said, God is love. God is love. Not what the world tells you, but God is love. Love isn't just an action or emotion coming out of God. It is his very essence. It's who God is. Every aspect of God's nature and every action that he takes comes out of and is consistent with his true eternal love. Everything that God does is out of his eternal love. So we can be assured that when God is taking action in our life and is leading, down, leading us down a certain pathway, he is leading us, he is taking action in love for us. He means us no harm. It's his will that we prosper, that we, we find his love, we find the abundant life that we can have in him. Now I want you to say this sentence out loud. I am loved. loved. Alright, say it again. I am loved. Amen. Now, did you believe it when you said it? Okay. Some of you did. <laughs> Maybe some of us thought, oh, I'm not so sure I'm worthy of love. But notice this statement isn't, I am loved for now, or I am loved as long as I make the right choices. It's I am loved because it's based on the love that never changes, the love of our Father. You know, it's amazing, though, how often it, we subconsciously insert those extra little conditions when we think about God's love. Perhaps it's because our own love for other people is conditional upon how they treat us. But that's not God's love. If we make love that way, it makes it very hard for us to comprehend an absolutely immovable, unshakable love that God has for us. Understanding God's unconditional love brings a feeling that many people don't come to experience. And it's a feeling the world cannot give you. It's called peace. Peace. Not as the world gives, Jesus says, but my peace I give to you. It's a peace that is beyond your understanding, but not beyond your ability to experience. Praise God. God's love gives us his peace. Amen. 
Amen. We don't have to, to maintain some kind of facade of worthiness or, or perform certain level of holy acts, you know, in order to, to keep God's love. We have God's love already. Amen. You are loved. Don't believe what the world tells you. Don't believe what the devil whispers in your ears. Say to him, I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. Amen. You know, God's love will not change and cannot be broken by outside forces or even our internal failures. Think about that. This confidence comes from the peace that replaces all the anxiety and the self-condemnation that, that we allow circumstances to heap upon ourselves. God's love is beyond all circumstance. Amen? Beyond all anxiety. God's unbreakable love means we have freedom to learn and to grow even when that growth looks like failure. You know, it's okay to fail. People fail all the time. Peter, an apostle, failed Jesus. Yet he's still an apostle. And he's going to sit on one of 12 thrones up there with God. God's love for us gives us an ability to do and to be something we can't be in ourselves. Let's look at the biblical definition of love. And you all know where that's at. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to read that, but I'm going to read it slowly, a little phrase by phrase. Because I find that when I read it and when I hear other people read it, we often just kind of just fly through it. And don't even think about what it really means. Let's look at it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Does that, by the way, sound like anything like the love the world is trying to purport out there? It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Whoa. I take after my earthly father sometimes and I get irritable. When you read the word of God and you sit and think a minute, it gives you the opportunity to do a wonderful thing. It's called repent. And let God change you and transform you by the power of his word. So if you feel irritable or resentful, repent. And let God give you love. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Hmm. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Wow. How wonderful is love. How different from the world is God's love. How liberating is God's love for we as children of, of, of the living God to experience. A holy, wonderful love. I am loved. Such a simple and a powerful truth. God's love wraps us up in his arms and he holds us and loves us and nurtures us. Despite the messes that we make of our lives, he carries us into a future that he has prepared for us to do and to live. 
We need to remember that in the midst of the craziness of this world right now. We're not in it alone. We're not walking through this journey of life by ourselves under our own authority and our own power, but with the presence of the living God in our life and taking on the nature of God, the characteristics of God, our Heavenly Father. When the world is overwhelming, we know that we are loved and have a future. Amen? Amen. Therefore, we can make another declaration. I am loved, so I love without reservation. Let's say that together. I am loved, so I love without reservation. Amen. (laughs) Knowing that I'm holy, like my holy father, righteous because I've received Jesus as my savior, and that I am utterly and unconditionally loved is the foundation of our next statement of identity. And that is, I am secure. I am secure. Romans 8.31 tells us this. When then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And Philippians 1 and 6 says this. I am sure of this. Not halfway sure, not I think it's true. But it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, as sons and daughters of God, we have security that the world can only yearn for. Can't possess, though, on its own. Albert Einstein, who happened to be a pretty smart fellow, said that the greatest power in the universe is compound interest. Well, Albert, you're wrong. The greatest power in the universe is our God and Father. Amen? Who happens to also be our friend and our defender. Man, the greatest power in the universe. Our God loves us, cares for us, keeps us secure, makes us into something we cannot be by ourselves. You know, if you ever read the Old Testament, you know, about the stories about the Israelites' journey out of Egypt through the, uh, the, uh, uh, the desert into the Promised Land, you might have done what I thought and thought, man, these guys were thick-headed and dumb sometimes. <laughs> I mean, look at it. They had front-row seats uh, as God, you know, sent uh, plague upon plague upon plague upon the, uh, the Egyptians, yet despite being in God's presence and seeing God's awesome power and his protection firsthand, they never really truly trusted him. Time after time, when danger threatened them and life didn't go their way, what did they do? Oh, God has abandoned us. I wish we were back in Egypt. At least we had meat to eat there. Well, Sometimes we have to act the same way. <laughs> you know, faced with all the, the political discord in our nation and, and, and uh, all the crazy different aspects of COVID-19 and what it's brought upon our lives and personal health issues and a new thing that we've forgotten about. All of us who are a little older, we remember what inflation is about. Well, we're finding out what it's about again now, aren't we? All these things come against us and defy us. And, and, and we just find out real quickly just what we believe and who we believe in. Because when these kind of things happen to us, what do we do? Do we stand upon our promises of God? 
Or do we start whining and wondering why God has left us and hurting us and, 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 and we're just having a hard time in life? <laughs> Don't be a whiner. Be a winner. Amen? Amen. Trust God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what? These circumstances that come against us are actually meant to strengthen us. To teach us to trust God. To take one step at a time. And put each step that we take on another promise that he has made. And we see that as we take that step of faith, he fulfills every single one of his promise. It's our confidence. It's our peace. It is our birthright as children of God. Now, if you've ever uh, struggled to trust God, I do have some good news for you. God isn't nearly as offended at your humanness as you might think he is. You see, because he knows what it means to be human. You're not an intern in a company run by God who's struggling and trying to prove your worth so that you can get a full-time permanent position. You happen to be a child of the living God with a permanent place in his family. Amen? God loves you. You're not trying out to be good for God. Amen? You're not trying out for a position in God's company. You're his child. He loves you. Yes, you have a part to play in God's plan of your life. And, and that part will sometimes require you to have some courage. And yes, God's desire is for you to, to live in security and confidence, not live in fear. But that lesson is learned over time by facing the trials of life, seeing that God is faithful. We sang a song about the faithfulness of God. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful, amen? Our security is not found in our ability to control our lives, although we try to control our lives way too often, don't we? It is found in God himself. What a much better, much secure place, more secure place to find, you know, ourselves and, and our security. Your current, current uh, I can't talk today, your current failures and immaturity and weaknesses or fears you know, they don't cause God to run away from you. He isn't ashamed of you, even when you're ashamed of yourself. He's deeply and irrevocably, absolutely in love with you. And because he loves you, he is committed to helping you grow in security. So it's time for another declaration. I am secure. So I live from a place of peace. You all say that with me, okay? I am secure, so I live from a place of peace. I am holy. I am righteous. I am loved. I am secure. Therefore, the next statement is I am confident. Joshua 1 and 9 says this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says this. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Amen. Our God Wants us to be confident in him and in ourselves. Amen? Because we belong to him. 
When we uh, think of a confident person, most of us think of that person who walks into the room, their chin is up and they're upright, and boy, they know, they're focused on what they uh, need to accomplish, and they know they got the power and the ability to do it. And everybody in their world is just, you know, attracted to them because they're just so confident, you know, of themselves. But faced with the realization of of how important confidence is for us to succeed in life, sometimes when we get down and look deep into our our, our, our hearts and our lives for that place of confidence, uh, we don't find confidence. Sometimes we find panic, you know. Now, you and I can sometimes fake confidence, you know, with enough caffeine and desperation in our lives. We can do it. <laughs> but even with that, we don't feel, feel nearly as confident as what we're told we ought to be. So we pretend. Fake it till you make it becomes our mantra. You ever done that? You ever said that? I'll just fake it till I make it. We rarely stop to wonder just how many apparently confident people we run into are actually giving themselves that same little pep talk. Now, you know, if we're honest, appearing confident actually is a whole lot easier than being confident. Because you can fake it a little bit. And there's plenty of people who are scared spitless, though, behind their confident facade. They just don't understand, you know, oh, how can I really do this? They're convinced, you know. Uh, that they have to convince themselves and in order to convince others. But, you know, <clears throat> let's not assume that everyone who is confident is, is somehow um, above us mere mortals who have to struggle through life to remain confident. They're not. You know, and on the other hand, there's some other folks who kind of fake confidence. Some people mistake arrogance for confidence. They're convinced that they are smarter than everyone around them. And that, by the way, the world is not even worthy of their presence. You ever met anybody like that? Uh, you, I, mean, I know you, you remember them if you, if you did. But this isn't true confidence anymore than the fake confidence that I just talked about. You see, both are counterfeits. But God offers the real thing. God offers the real confidence. Real confidence can be defined as an awareness of who you are, regardless of how you compare or measure up to others. It's born out of the inner, uh, inner security that, that doesn't need constant affirmation from others, doesn't have to dominate in order to prove itself, and it isn't shaken by failure because it's not based on performance in the, in the beginning in it, at all. You see, true confidence is built on relationship. True confidence can't be fake. In, tr- in times of difficulty, our core, core beliefs are going to be revealed. And we're going to find out just how confident we really are. If our confidence is just uh, merely a facade, it's going to crack. And if it's based on pride, it's absolutely going to crumble. But if our confidence is the authentic outward expression of our unshakable inner security we have in Christ, we're going to stand. The world's going to notice 
we're going to be able to speak about God's love with authority and with the ability to touch people's hearts. Confidence gives us the freedom to learn and to grow and to develop. It allows us to risk failure and, 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 and understand that that's part of the learning process. Because we don't need to be perfect in order to impress others or, or to feel good about ourselves. As a result, we end up becoming and doing more than we ever could have all on our own. All on the confidence we built up in a, in a fake and a, in a shallow way. If we remain in Christ, we are not bound by fear or doubt or the words of other people that try to tear you down. So I'm going to make another declaration. I am confident, so I chase radical humility. Let's say that again. I am confident, so I chase radical humility. Why do we chase radical humility? Because a confident person is a humble person. Because he or she knows that it's not about them. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. So be confident in Jesus. Share your faith in him by living out your faith in him. Amen. Now, it's just absolutely liberating to understand our identity is grounded in God's holiness, righteousness, love, security, and confidence. And it sets us free from fear. We don't have to be afraid in this world. And we don't have to worry about the world's ridicule. It allows us to understand that our identity is in Christ. And if we further identify with God and in Christ, then we know that the next statement about our uh, identity is true. I am creative. You're creative. 1 Peter 4 and 10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Do you remember when you were in kindergarten or first and second grade? And, uh, you know, back then when school was mostly Play-Doh and recess and lunch and fun, you know, a successful day was when you got a star for, for uh, doing a good drawing and, you, and you, get in trouble, you didn't get in trouble for talking too much in class, you know. Some of us still get in trouble for talking too much, though, don't we? <laughs> but anyway, you know... Uh, Nostalgia kind of shades our, our, our view of our past a little bit, but, but it does seem that one of the reasons why, why uh, most of us liked school at the early age, at least, was because it was fun. It was fun, uh, and it was fun in large part because we were allowed to be creative. We were allowed to do things, do things with our hands and just, just have fun. You know, unfortunately, as time goes on, you know, we forget that creativity is for all of us. It's not just the domain of, of our children, but it's for everybody. We were created to be creative, and we can be creative in a thousand different ways, you know, often not without even realizing we're, we're doing it. You know, it's found in, in just our desire and, uh, in, and ability to make something new. You ever try to make something yourself, do a craft or something? You just wanted to do something, to develop something that doesn't exist, to, to express something that has not been spoken yet, or to solve problems that no one has a solution for. There's a challenge. Be creative to do something different. God himself is creative, right? We know he is. If you read chapter 1 and 2 and 3 of, the, of, of Genesis, you know that God is a creative God. And God expects us 
to be like him. He invented the concept of creativity, and he loved to see us be creative too. And the beautiful aspect of our, about our God-given creativity is that we are free to use our gifts to create and to develop and to produce and to bless. Now, is there any self-centered uh, notion in that sentence right there? We are to get, use our God-given creativity uh, to create and to develop and to produce and to bless others. There's no higher calling than using our gifts to glorify God and to bless others. And creativity is one of the primary ways that, that we glorify God. You know, it doesn't matter how you do it, whether you're helping out at Joseph's storehouse or you're talking to a friend there at work and listening to their problems and, and showing them that Jesus is their answer. Whether you're, whether you're a lawyer or a plumber or an electrician, you know, a mama, a daddy, uh, you know, a, a friend or a neighbor. It doesn't matter. When you're doing all these things, we do it as doing unto the Lord. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, not even for yourself. Do it unto the Lord. All is sacred and all is beautiful when we use our gifts to bless others. Amen. God, our creator, is creative. And being creative produces beauty and blesses others. If, create, if creativity is God's gift to us, then we need to use it in a way that will honor him and glorify him. Amen? So we can declare another declaration. <laughs> I am creative, so I use my talents to reflect God's glory. Will you say that with me? I am creative, so I use my talents to reflect God's glory. This is incredible. I am holy, righteous, loved, secure, confident, and creative. It's incredible, and it's only possible as a believer in Jesus Christ. The world can't give it to you because our identity is linked to Jesus Christ himself. Remember when Jesus prayed for his disciples, he said in John 17, 20, and 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God wants us to be one, to be creative, to be holy, to be confident, to be secure, to be one with him and one with one another. Then when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, it'll have credibility. There's one more important I am statement that I want to make. We're going to close with this. And it's I am called. Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Ephesians 2 and 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're called. It's a powerful concept, and it implies a whole lot. You have something to offer. Your contribution is going to be recognized. People depend upon you. You have a responsibility. You have influence. You have a mission in life. You know, it's probably safe to say that everybody would rather be called than overlooked, right? 
You know, something in us yearns to have a, have a purpose in life, a mission in life, a reason for being, a reason for living. And God gives us that reason. Think about those superhero movies, you know. All the superheroes have their origin and, and how they were crea- you know, uh, got their powers. And, and we also find out they have some weaknesses. But eventually all those superheroes come together and fight some big, uh, terrible foe that's come, come and destroy the world, right? And in the midst of their strengths and their weaknesses, they come together and they're able to overcome. And so we can kind of identify that because we know that we have weaknesses, but we also know we have strengths, right? Because we're God's children. And when we come together as one, we can overcome the greatest enemy the world has ever faced, and that's Satan and the lies that he proclaims. We are one, and we are one not only with ourselves and one another, but with God. Now, the Bible presents God as a personal, active, and involved God in our lives. He, doesn't, he didn't just throw the universe together and then go on vacation. He didn't do that. That's what deists think. They actually believe that. It's not true. But instead, he's watching us and he's guiding us and he's helping us. He's calling us, calling us to be his witness, his testimony. The Bible shows us that in so many different passages. It shows us that God doesn't just love you. He calls you because you are unique. You are unique. You're different. You're different from the world. And what God has in store for you will fit you like nothing else will fit. God has a purpose for you. You get to spend the rest of your life walking down a path and a journey with Jesus. As as brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what we we get to do. Learning who he is and learning who you are. How to fit together in God's plan to do what God's called us to do. God has a specific future in mind for you, an absolutely wonderful life to live that will make a difference, a lifetime we have to explore that. So we need to embrace that journey, don't we? It's an adventure worth having. It's a life worth living. It's a story worth telling. God loves us. We need to go for it. We have seven different statements that show us the way. I am called. So I live each day with purpose. That's the last declaration. Let's say that together. I am called, so I live each day with purpose. Amen.